From St. Mary's University of Minnesota, you're listening to St. Mary's Currents. I'm your host, Ben Rogers. This past October, tech billionaire Mark Zuckerberg announced his company, Facebook, was changing its name to Meta to, quote, reflect its focus on building a metaverse. I am proud to announce that starting today, our company is now Meta. But what exactly is a metaverse? What are the concerns that come with it? What are the possibilities? In this episode, I'm joined by business and data analytics professor Michael Rutajczak and philosophy professor Joe Tatey to discuss what the metaverse is, its potential uses, and the ethics surrounding the technology. Michael and Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you've discussed the topic of the metaverse and the ethics surrounding it at prior events at the college. And with this topic popping up more and more in headlines, I think it'll be a really interesting conversation for our listeners. However, first, can I have you just introduce yourselves and tell our listeners what you do at St. Mary's and what your academic interests are? So I'm Michael Ritajczak. I am the program director for the Masters of Business Intelligence and Data Analytics at St. Mary's. I'm also a core faculty member in our Winona College campus in the Business and Communication Department, where I focus on business intelligence topics and research theses. I'm also pursuing my PhD in artificial intelligence at the same time. My name is Joe Tady. I'm in the Department of Philosophy. I joined the faculty in the year 2000, so that makes this my 22nd year in the Department of Philosophy. Um, just a side note, and it's relevant to this conversation, I've had the joy to take over the metaphysics course and have taught that now nine times here at St. Mary's. So this conversation about metaverse is a very interesting one for those of us who still work in the arcane field of metaphysics. Really, the conversation is very appropriate, believe it or not, even though the topic stretches back about 3,000 years, the area of metaphysics. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, our conversation here, and I'm grateful to have had nine years of reflection on metaphysics before we've arrived in the metaverse. So thanks for having us. Absolutely. So while I was doing research for this episode, I came across an article with the headline, The Metaverse Explained for People Who Still Don't Get It. And this was published like a week ago. But, you know, this has been something that has been discussed quite a bit since Zuckerberg announced that Meta, formerly Facebook, was going to kind of focus their attention on building a technology like the metaverse. But it seems like still a lot of people are kind of unclear about what it is. And even I've noticed there are different takes exactly on what the metaverse is. So for our listeners, I mean, could both of you kind of explain what the metaverse is? <laughs> I totally understand that sentiment there about maybe different definitions or different ways to describe it. I would also add that it's it's not mature yet, so that's part of the reason, you know. We, we've had this kind of technology to a degree for many years. Uh, Second Life, for example, has been around for a very long time, but we've never really ran with the term metaverse until recently, you know, uh, Zuckerberg and meta and those kinds of things. But put simply, and you can be something or do something that you never imagined you could do. Mm. So if you want to attend a concert in San Antonio, Texas and listen to live music, and get a feeling that you're there, 
You can hook up to the metaverse and you can go to a concert in San Antonio while sitting in your chair at home and just enjoy the nightlife through that lens. So I really like to tell people, and I try to tell my kids this, imagine you're in the Star Wars world or you're in the My Little Pony world. And just imagine you're doing things with your fictional friends. You're in a world much like the video games that you play or things like that. For, for other people, I say, imagine you're in the Matrix. However, there are people that still don't understand what the Matrix is. So sometimes that doesn't really help <laughs> as well. So I love it. My response is similar. I like that you ended with the Matrix. That movie came out, I just checked, 1999. So in some sense, we've since 99, we should have had a clue that Second Life, that immersive gaming experiences, World of Warcraft, the Oculus headset. This is giving us, if you want, previews of what will become the metaverse. Mm -hmm. So we've had on-ramps to the metaverse in popular media, The Matrix, etc. Snow Crash is famously the pop novel that articulates this term <laughs> metaverse for our own time, where I think it's interesting. One of the theses in that book is that my participation in the virtual world could lead to a brain disorder in this world over here. So uh, if, you, if, I, if you can tolerate a tiny bit of the metaphysics question, one thing that I think a philosopher like me can contribute to this conversation is that this term metaphysics was Aristotle's way of asking the question about the things that are up to me and the things that are not up to me. The world of physics is not up to me. Metaphysics is the areas over which I have some measure of control. So over whether I have free will or not, over my identity, those seem to be metaphysical questions, questions beyond the physical universe. But there you heard the term universe. This thesis is complicated. We are going to move to a metaverse. And Michael adverted to it articulately right there. I might be interested in my pretty pony. So my metaverse is going to be organized around that interest group. Mm -hmm. I might be interested in World of Warcraft. So it'll be organized in that portion of the metaverse. And I think this raises that classic metaphysical question. Is there one metaverse or are there many? And I'll leave it with a question like a philosopher should. So, you know, one of the biggest concerns I've seen raised about the metaverse while researching is the concern over privacy. Since the rise of the Internet, especially the rise of social media, you know, there have been concerns about the collection and use of our personal data. As technology companies are moving toward something, you know, way more immersive than Facebook or Twitter as ways to interact with each other, you know, ways that include uh, VR headsets that, you know, can track eye movement and, and possibly other neural actions, right? What kind of conversations do we have to have about the collection of our data and how certain actors might use it when we talk about the metaverse? So I don't think that conversation is a new conversation to have. I think those are the things that we have tried to have when people log into Facebook or when people accept all cookies at the bottom of their screen so that they can just get to the page they wanted to get to, you know? So, but you're right. It's a more immersive experience when you're in the metaverse because not only are your biorhythms calculated, people might not be used to that, right? Not everybody has a smartwatch that collects their biorhythms and you might not have people in the metaverse that are 
up and up on technology. They just look at it as an entertainment experience and they're not eggheads, you know, but obviously the bio data and healthcare companies are going to be very interested in that kind of data, possibly insurance companies, health insurance companies, life insurance companies might be interested in that kind of data. And so those are old conversations, but I think there's going to be a greater group of people that are going to be affected by it because they see it as an entertainment experience. But of course, the things that you actually do in the metaverse are going to be captured, you know, as data. You know, what are you spending your time on? How long are you in the metaverse? How long are you in a certain area of the metaverse? Who do you associate with? All those kinds of things. What products, you know, what kind of digital assets are you engaging with? Are going to send clues to people like me and the people that I train in business intelligence and data science on how we can market more products to you. <laughs> so in a way, that's nothing different, yeah. but it's just a much more immersive experience than we've ever had before. Yeah, the, again, that's a nice run up to what I would say. I think one of the recognitions we have to have is that we all signed an agreement when we entered Facebook um, there was a lecturer here about 10 years ago trying to argue that I should be able to imagine that anything I do on Facebook is private. I raised my hand when the speaker was done and politely said, are you crazy? Like, didn't you read the agreement? You surrendered. If I post it on Facebook, I imagine that everybody will be able to see that for time immemorial. There is no privacy to Facebook. It's a privately held group controlled in a boardroom, driven by profit. So Zuckerberg is openly trying to extend my time of engagement with content. Mm -hmm. So he's serving me a feed that is, as you're rightly pointing out, directed at my brain function, at my interests. And at the same time, I'm very aware, but I don't think most users are, mm -hmm. there's a marketing ploy there. That engagement is driven by one thing. It's a profit motive. Facebook is a privately held company, not governed by faceless, nameless algorithms, controlled by some AI that's benevolent. It's to drive profits for Facebook. As Michael says, this shouldn't really be a new conversation, but I think Zuckerberg, in a way, has done us in academia a real big service by having this rebrand. It raised the level of awareness about metaverse and what it will mean for all of us. I think that we're in the hype stage of the metaverse. We all know it, whatever it's going to be, it won't be here for another 10 or 15 years. But Zuckerberg really did us all a favor by pushing the hype now. Uh, I'm not saying he's a good actor for that. I'm just saying that his rebrand to a tech company away from a social media company is an obvious attempt to get away from ethical or political ramifications of that prior identification. We'll be right back in a minute.
Separate yourself from the rest and take your career to the next level with an online degree from St. Mary's University of Minnesota. Nationally ranked and fully accredited, our programs are student-centered with faculty that infuse practical career experience into their teaching and engage in their disciplines. Set your own schedule with our flexible online platform and access your coursework anywhere. With our selection of affordable online degree programs, promising career opportunities will follow. Explore what's next at St. Mary's University of Minnesota. In my free time, I've been trying to learn a little bit more about cryptocurrency and NFTs. And one of the things that I found fascinating while doing my research, you know, is the topic about the impact that the mining and trading of those currencies can have on climate change. Basically, you know, these computers uh, using a lot of processing power and consuming a lot of power. And I'm assuming with something like the metaverse, that would be required as well. And, you know, that isn't an issue in the metaverse, but that's a real-world issue, right? As companies and developers look to build a world like the metaverse, what real-world impacts should those developers kind of consider? Your question is a good one. I, I think it's um, it's a huge question uh, when we're talking about crypto and crypto mining. There are going to be real-world impacts associated with our continued interest in and development of virtual domains. And you're pointing out the obvious one for climate activists or for climate aware people that there is going to be required a bunch of power inputs for this to, especially for crypto. But as you're rightly pointing out, this relates to, uh, in its own way, to the metaverse, which will all be virtual. I'll just use a very different uh, example, one that's even more direct on human impact. So you probably in your research found that there are people who will put on the headset, have their friends feed them drinks and food, take care of their bodily functions for them, and play themselves either into a coma or into death. So these are the gamers who put on the headset and are so enraptured with the other world, with the virtual world that they will neglect their own biological reality. So I use that as a kind of icon. You mentioned real-world impact of all the virtual activity in the form of climate change. I'm interested, especially as someone who deals with ethics, like what are we going to say about that person? What is that about? And in many important ways, I don't think that ancient, medieval, or modern ethics has the ability to respond properly to these kinds of problems. Again, as Michael says, these are perennial questions that come up. What's the human's relationship to its tool? I think these tools are special and different. I don't know many tools, maybe other than automobiles, that we get so enraptured with them that we'll drive right to our death in order to stay engaged with them. So you make a good point. One of my side interests is I have a game development studio. What's the objective? You want people to play your games. But if you design your games a certain way, you want them to keep playing your game as much as possible, stay in the game. So in that regard, it's very similar to the metaverse. You want people in there. You want people finding entertainment. You want people fulfilling their intellectual needs. So you build a library in there and with your headset on, leaning in your chair, you're reading something at the great library of Alexandria. Yep. You know, or like I said, with the San Antonio music, uh, fulfilling that need. So, you know, we've talked about what kind of lifestyle changes would that 
require? What kind of food delivery systems? You know, Amazon Prime is now sending food through an IV for people to stay in the metaverse instead of leave the metaverse to go into their kitchen. I mean, it sounds crazy or out of a twilight zone, but, you know, things are progressing those ways. I mean, you've got people that are sitting in internet cafes playing World of Warcraft nonstop or Elden Ring, which just came out or new games. And what's so different about ordering a pizza through the internet or through the metaverse to be dropped off at your house, curbside delivery? You know, we're not too far away from interacting in other ways, I, I don't think. So there's going to be some business opportunities as grotesque or foreign as it sounds right now. Call me a futurist or call me kind of crazy. But as a business person, that's that's what you do. You find opportunities to support the technology or the new lifestyles that people have. Regarding the climate change and heat generation and things like that, I think people will argue over time with the metaverse adoption that instead of having to fly to San Antonio, Texas and take cabs and all this stuff, I can get an experience that, while still new and foreign to some people, may be sufficient for that person's needs and not have to fly anywhere. You know, right now we've got technology that we can play casino games, you know, through uh, Canadian casinos. People can log in and, and bet real money. Well, now we could potentially go into the metaverse and be in Caesar's Palace, playing slot machines. And obviously we won't have the cocktail there, but maybe someday, maybe there'll be a device that, again, drops some of that. Uh, <laughs> Through know, an IV. Yeah, or, or a, you know, a food replicator. Yep. You know, what Michael says there, it's a classic business ethics dilemma. Business is going to pioneer this territory, and we ethicists are going to arrive later with all kinds of questions. All right. So one question I noticed that came up during the event that you had where you discussed this topic was, am I morally responsible for my actions in the metaverse like I am when I'm not hooked up? You know, I found an instance where a woman spoke about being verbally harassed and having her avatar groped. Are users in this virtual world responsible for their actions as they are in the physical world? I don't want to sound like a pessimist, but... Have you looked at Twitter lately? I mean, have you looked at you know other message boards where people have this empowerment to, to go out there and act in ways that they would not do in public? Humans are going to be moderating the metaverse. And if your metaverse is very popular, how many moderators are you going to need to make sure that everybody that logs in isn't groped within the first 30 seconds of their experience? So... I don't have the answer for that, but I do believe it's a tough situation because you could have different metaverses, different organizations developing a metaverse that has different rules. Like there's a metaverse out there for you to feel like you're a mobster, you know, that you're, you know, in that kind of an era. So violence is the expectation. Um, criminal activity through role play is the expectation. But is that good for society, right? To have that where it's like, oh, come on into our world. And this is what's acceptable here. Now, you don't have to think hard to notice uh, your question is a great one. So here I am, Joe Tady. Now I'm playing an immersive form of Grand Theft Auto. I'm hooking up with hookers. I'm stealing cars. I'm capping people on the street corner. I'm running cops over. I'm doing all these antisocial, illegal activities. 
Your question is one that Aristotle would still ask us. Should I be held accountable for those actions that I committed in the virtual world? There's an obvious answer there. No. But in doing that over time, have I then compromised my character in relation to regular legal activity in this world? That's very academic, and I'm aware of that. It's it's almost too much to ask because of the new situation. Michael Ritajic has told me on other occasions, and I'm sure it's not a big revelation here, he doesn't go into every metaverse with the same name, and he certainly never goes as Michael Ritajic. He goes as ZX4472. You know what? So how many avatars do I have? This is one of the central claims that you'll hear about any of the metaverse hype stage that you aren't trapped by physics. I'm not trapped with my deformed body. I'm able to have a healthy body in the metaverse. I'm able to have a robot's body. I'm able to be a robot today and I'm able to be an elf who has wings tomorrow. So the question that we're really asking is the question of identity. And it has been a very difficult problem for us in the time of technology. And I think it's only going to be amplified. Questions Mm -hmm. of who am I (laughs) are going to remain. And this virtualized self, these virtualized selves is only going to enrich the dialogue. (laughs) Yeah, that's powerful. But I don't know if people are going to question that with themselves, right? Like, am I being too radical with my social media posts? Am I being hurtful with my metaverse experiences? Am I evolving into something I don't want to be? I don't think everybody out there is going to ask those questions. Michael, that's good. And one thought I've had in that regard, usually in the regular world of physics, when I say or do something, I get a pretty immediate biofeedback loop. Even if I'm not let's just say in an extreme case, not capable of picking up on social cues. This doesn't matter. There will be no social cue. You'll never see that human impact. You'll never get that direct feedback, that existential input from the other. So I think this raises big ethics questions. All right. So I read a lot of how the concept of the metaverse is not new. A lot of the articles I read pointed to a snow crash, which was brought up earlier, as well as other science fiction. In these sci-fi works, the metaverse is always displayed as grim and dystopian. Do you see uses of the metaverse being beneficial to society? Yes. <laughs> but as we've discussed, there's going to be different types, right? Like there's literally, like I said before, there's one about being a mobster and murdering people. You know, that is the objective. It's not be in a world and then as a side quest, you can go do this. That's the intent of that metaverse. I'm sure there's going to be ones about space crusaders and being kings and queens in medieval Europe and things like that. So we have to be careful with that, that there will be different intents and uses of the metaverse. It's not like, I mean, just look at the video game industry for a minute. You've got totally different types of games, not just the topic of the game, but you've got a simulation game, a strategy game, a side-scrolling game. You've got RPG games. You've got all kinds of different types of games. I mean, you're going to have metaverses. We're going to call them metaverses, but all they are is three-dimensional chat rooms so that you can teach a subject or you can attend a school board meeting. So are those good things? 
I mean, I would think so, but then you're still missing out on the human element, the human touch, uh, opening the door for somebody, sharing, sharing something near each other, taking notes and talking to each other. Um, so there's pros and cons to it, but I really think the metaverse will be a good thing for a lot of people. I keep going back to some of the things about, we talked about it earlier, people that are just unable to do something. Like I have an 80 year old mother and she's mm-hmm. wheelchair bound. Mm-hmm. She's never traveled internationally. And I would love to take her. I've, I've worked on almost every continent, but I can never take her. I, I couldn't even take her five years ago, but with a headset and identifying where she wants to go, she could walk the streets of Paris. She could go to London and sit down in a park. <laughs> what we would want to argue is, are those real things? Well, they're things she's interested in and wants to experience. So the philosopher might say they're not real things. Here's a virtualized approximation of that prepared for you. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> is she really experiencing it? In a sense, of course she is. It depends on how immersive that technology gets. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to argue at that level that she's not having some experience of Paris. That probably for me, Ben, is one of the more optimistic sides of, uh, and I really love what you're saying about a person who has physical disability. That That is one of the promises for some of those people. Maybe they can experience what walking feels like. There are coming many more immersive technologies. Joe, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. St. Mary's Currents is a production of the St. Mary's University of Minnesota Office of Marketing and Communication. It is produced by Ben Rogers and Deb Nergang. It is recorded, edited, and engineered by Jeffrey DeMarsh. Our theme music is written by Will Van de Cromert. I'm Ben Rogers. We'll see you next time for St. Mary's Currents.